Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's episode of the HR Works Podcast, we're sharing a recent conversation I had with two members of the Human Resources Management Online Program at Champlain College, Dr. Albert Orbanati, Assistant Professor and Program Director of the Business Management and Human Resource Management Programs at Champlain College, and Elisa Avalar, a Professor of Human Resource Management at Champlain College and Vice President of People at Docker, a San Francisco-based IT service and consulting company focused on application development. As educators preparing the next wave of HR professionals, Dr. Albert and Elisa are right at the pulse of the latest trends and changes impacting the human resources community and shared some incredible insight during our discussion. We covered so much in our conversation that we're going to share this one with you in two parts. In part one, we'll get you introduced to Dr. Albert and Elisa, learn about both their unique career paths in leadership and higher learning, and talk about generational divides in the workforce and some of the biggest challenges facing HR professionals in the remote work era. Let's check out the episode. Albert, Elisa, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, it's great having you both on. So let's jump right into it. The newest group of 2022 graduates are now entering the workforce. What's something unique that sets this latest batch of human resource management graduates apart from their peers in the workplace? Well, sure. So right now, uh, students have had a once in a generation experience of learning about HRM while living through a global pandemic. And I think that's really unique. And so what are some of the issues that they faced? So the issues that they're facing right now in the classroom are major organizational disruptions. So we're all going through it right now. This rise of remote work, the health and well-being of employees is the top of everybody's mind right now. Worker productivity, employee motivation, all of these issues. So they're happening right now as HR students are learning about HR. And so in our courses, we're utilizing their real-time lived experiences in the class, and that's really helping to enrich their learning. And so it is a fantastic time to be an HR student right now because of all these changes that are happening. So I'd start there and then also say that you know our, our graduates also graduate with exposure to HR analytics and DE&I and remote work policies. So uh, they're really getting the full effect of all the changes that are happening right now in HR. So for those that are listening to this podcast, if you're looking to hire some HR graduates, now is a fantastic time. Yeah, I mean, really jumping into the deep end in terms of so much coming into the HR profession and, and so much becoming part of what human resources professionals are dealing with in the current market. Elisa, what are you seeing? Albert hit the nail on the head with that one. But what I love is that we're recognizing the soft skills of what an HR leader is. And that's what we're hitting on. The old school is policies and books and process. And that's not what HR is. And anybody that is in HR knows that that's never been what HR is, but that's been the stereotype. And so now what we're seeing is that we're actually focusing on the soft skills, the mental health, the compassion, the empathy, um, balance of work and life and are we going to remote or go to the office and really touching on people issues, which I think is a very key 
item in HR, you have to be able to do this. If you're wanting to grow your career, that's the strategy piece. And that's a piece that the old school HR didn't get. When I started in HR, it was like, make sure you have a handbook and payroll. And now we actually get to work on the things that make work a fun place to be, engaging place to be. That's a big thing. But then also recognizing that people don't, you know, live to work. Yeah. And that we're really changing that mindset. And I think that's really critical. And the pandemic, I will be honest, has really allowed people to reprioritize their life. And HR has been at the core of that. And honestly, if you're an HR leader out there, we're exhausted because we've been working with people issues for the last two years, but it's also brought to the forefront of how important the HR function in an organization is. And we do really need a seat at the table to drive the outcomes of the business from a people standpoint. I love that. Yeah, we've learned that there's so much more to people than just the job function over the last two years. Mm -hmm. And with that, there's so much more to people operations than just the surface level of what we thought it was prior to 2020. What a great way to get us kicked off. So before we really jump into some great questions that have got lined up for you both, I'd love to learn more about you and then learn more about your journey to what brought you to what you're currently doing with Champlain College. So Dr. Albert Obernati, why don't you get us started? Walk us through your career path and really what led you to pursuing a career in education and leading both programs in business management and human resource management at Champlain College. Sure. I may be one of those rare people who always knew he wanted to teach even when I was very young, I was always at the forefront of like trying to teach and lead other people. In my group of friends, I was always the leader of my group of friends. And so this started very early for me, and I knew that teaching was going to be my career. And so when I graduated college, um, undergrad college, I became a secondary school teacher. And I did that for about, ooh, about two years, and then 9-11 happened. And 9-11 uh, changed the trajectory of my professional life in pretty significant ways. I, I had a college friend who passed away in one of the, in the North Tower, and uh, that really affected me. And so I was, from that point on, thinking about joining the military. And I wanted to serve and make a difference in that regard. So I put teaching on hold for a while, still a passion of mine, uh, but then uh, joined the military in 2003, uh, the U.S. Air Force. And I actually joined when I was a little later in my life. So I was 26 when I joined the Air Force while my peers were 18. So they're, you know, they're just out of uh, high school. And um, I was placed in positions of leadership right away. And I was introduced also to adult education while I was in the Air Force. And that really piqued my interest. And so I uh, earned my master's degree in adult ed while I was in the Air Force. Um, my Actually, my Air Force career continues today. I'm in my 19th year um, in the Air National Guard now. I transitioned from full-time to, to part-time a uh, long time ago. So, uh, so I'm in year 19 now, uh, quickly approaching uh, retirement. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so from that point on, uh, from about 2008 until today, I, it, it's been a, a career in higher ed. And so uh, moving up, I was a dean. I was an assistant vice president. And I decided to come to Champlain to teach and to interface with business leaders like Elisa and the incredible group of people we have at Champlain. So that has been the short story of my trajectory. And that's a great journey. That's fantastic. Thank you for your service, first of all, Albert. That's wonderful. But again, just that journey is so unique. And again, this is where I love asking this question right off the top to just share that journey. We all have unique paths to lead us to where we are today. So thank you for that. That's great. Now, Lisa, you're up. I'd love to learn more about your background. If you don't mind sharing what led you to pursuing a career in human resources, as well as teaching and what you work on today, especially as vice president of people at Docker. Um, well, my story won't be as inspirational as Albert's. Again, thank you for your service. I'm a military brat. 
So I have a big heart for those that are in the military and for the reason why they go in. So thank you so much for that. I actually started education late in my life. So in my 20s, I got married, had a family. And at 30, I decided I want to go to college and I found Champlain College. So I am actually a Champlain alumni, associates, bachelors and masters, and absolutely loved the online experience. I could not have gone to school and raise a family without the online opportunity. So there was a huge attachment to the online. And honestly, the Champlain's culture is amazing, which is why I pursue teaching there. Um, I was actually going to school for a computer science degree and realized I am not a good software developer, which is why I'm in tech is because I love to be around software developers. But um, through the education, I kind of fell into HR. And I think you may hear this story a lot where people are that, you know, they ended up somewhere and then found a calling and learning and development was the reason I got into HR. I started building training at work and things of that nature. So it seemed like a, a normal progression, a very easy progression. And as I was in HR and I was finishing up my master's at Champlain, I asked to be a teaching assistant, even though they didn't have one. I won't give out any names of who was able to give me this little free deal back in the day. So I could figure out if that was because I really love teaching. I loved adult learners because I was an adult learner and I wanted to give back to a community that had given me so much. Here I was 30, you know, went to school for eight years, got all these degrees online. And I was like, there's other people out there that want to do this. How can I help them and actually relate to them? So that's how I ended up in education. And there was a period of time where I was in higher education as a dean and doing curriculum, but I fell back into HR because I really missed that whole strategic piece, you know, org structuring and people engagement and all of, you know, onboarding, just that whole employee life cycle I was missing. And so then I ended up in HR and ended up in tech and global organizations. And honestly, I'm on day three at Docker. So, uh, (laughs) so I just came on board to help them scale their organization. But my journey is kind of just fell into serendipitous moments where opportunities were presented. But Champlain at the core is really who I am and the culture that they do and how Champlain treated me as a student and as a professor is exactly what I do in the workplace because I want people to always feel that they're so valued and included. And that's how I've always felt for the last 20 years at Champlain is that I always felt valued and included. And I feel like everybody should be at a place like that. I love that. And Lisa, your passion and just appreciation for Champlain shows, you could tell again that it made such an impact on you that you wanted to pay it forward. That is so cool. Thank you for sharing that. And it's great to see that you've just started now at Docker and you're paying it forward, even continuing to do that and now teaching and working even with learning and development with now your new employees at Docker. Mm -hmm. So it never stops. Even teaching beyond just the classroom, you still have an opportunity to groom that next batch of talent. Absolutely. Okay, so let's dig into the current market, right? We've seen so much change in the HR world, in just the workplace that has affected human resource professionals. So what are some of the current challenges that human resources professionals are now facing on a regular basis that may not have been a factor previously? Let me give that a shot first. Go for it, Albert. Well, so since this pandemic started and we all got a chance to well, most of us got a chance to you know, work remotely, uh, I have always viewed this issue as a leadership issue, and more specifically, a generational leadership issue. And, you know, folks are listening may or may not be familiar with with generational leadership. So, you know, it's the baby boomer generation, Generation X, the millennial generation, the current generation is uh, Generation Z. And for me, the spotlight has always been on leaders during this time. 
and what their preferences are, what values they bring to the workplace. And so my focus on this question has always, it will be about the generations. And so let's look at them very quickly. So the baby boomer generation, and I'm talking about the second half baby boomer generation, that's folks who are born in the, between the mid fifties and mid sixties. So they're approaching retirement now, but they're typically in places of leadership, senior leadership and organizations. And so what characteristics do they have? They're, they're driven, they're competitive. They're people who feel like they have to pay their dues, you know, to society. They believe in self-sufficiency, their attitude towards authority. They'll, they'll either love or hate their managers, but they'll be pretty blunt about their feelings, right? And their attitude towards work, it's an adventure. And so let's look at the next generation, my generation. So that's folks who were born between 65 and 1980. Um, it came to age in the mid 80s to 2000. So we're the latchkey kids. So we, we were the really the first generation raised by working parents who left us alone after school. You know, two working parents. We're survivors. We're skeptical. We're self-reliant. But we're also a little suspicious, and we believe in leadership through competency. And I realize these are broad generalizations, but it really does apply to me as I as I did the research on this and I read through this. Uh, my attitude towards work, I, I think it's a necessary challenge. I like it now because I'm doing something I like. But for the most part, people think it's a necessary challenge of this generation. Let's look at the millennials uh, quickly. They came to age between 2001 and 2021. Characteristics, they ask why, they prefer teamwork, they prefer a supportive structure, they crave feedback, uh, but they are team players, it's important to remember, and they want to be respected by people of authority. They want work to be meaningful, like we all do, but they do especially. And then this latest generation, we're still learning about, but we know that collaboration is a big importance to them. They need to be valued by leaders. And so all this to say, when we think about the changes that have happened in the workplace, you really have to think about who is working in your organization and more importantly, who's leading your organization. I know the focus has been on employees. Can employees work remotely? Can employees, you know, can distributed teams work? My thought is I'm focused on leaders. Can leaders lead people of different generations? And do they have the, enough self-awareness and self-consciousness to realize who they are and then who's working for them? And so for me, that's been like one of the biggest challenges of this entire movement that's happening right now in the workplace. Yeah. I mean, as you clearly explained, each generation has its own expectations, its own personality. And one leadership team, one leadership style may not connect with each one. The good leaders are the ones that can figure out a way to effectively do that and make sure that everyone from each generation with different expectations, with different reactions to the last two years are all still pulling in the same direction and are all still equally as engaged as they were in 2019 and early 2020 as they are now in 2022 and beyond. That's right. And you're seeing, you know, more and more people want to join, want to be flex. They want flexibility. They want to be seen in their workplace. But leaders, listen, you need to know who your people are and what they prefer have conversations with them, get to know them, and then you can make a determination on whether you should have a hybrid workplace or a fully remote workplace, or you're returning everybody back into the workplace. And I realize we'll probably talk about that here in a few minutes, but knowing who your leaders are, super important. Right. That's absolutely just self-awareness from leadership, but then also making sure you've got a clear message that really can convey across your entire employee base. 
Great insight on that, Albert. Elisa, how about you? What do you think from the last two years? What has changed? What are the new challenges that the HR professional is dealing with that they hadn't seen previously? Um, again, Albert's hit the nail on the head. He knows exactly what's happening on, going on in the organizations in HR. But I, you know, the thing is, is nothing has really changed about what a leader should be. I think something got fuzzy somewhere in the late 90s or early 2000s in some forms. Like what happened to, you know, the old sayings of understand before being understood, being adaptable and flexible, seeing something through somebody else's eyes first. That is, you know, that is, so those are some of the things that I grew up with that now maybe some of those older leaders are starting to realize they have to do. They're not going to be respected just simply for the title anymore. So you kind of have to go back to the basics of you have to listen. And actually, one of the very first modules I give to new managers is about effective communication and one-on-ones. And it's about building that rapport with your people and understanding how they like feedback, how do they want their goals to be articulated, how do they want to be recognized. All of those things is understanding that person as an individual, not the team, not the organization, but the individual. And you have to adapt everyone. And I just want to make a real call out because I know this generation has gotten a lot of slack, but the millennials have really woken up the rest of the groups of just saying like, hey, hold on. You know, this may be the participation trophy generation, but they just want everybody to be treated fairly. Just because I'm 19 and you're 40 doesn't mean that you're smarter or have more to offer. And they really raised their hand and was like, no, 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 that's not the way it has to be. And I think Albert and I can probably resonate with Generation X where we were the resilient group, right? We just persevered, head down, move. And the millennials are waking people up. And I appreciate that. And a long time ago, going to go on a little rant here. Hold on. Go for it. Back in the day, I thought I was born in the wrong generation because I thought I wanted to be Donna Reed. So if you're old enough to know who that is, then you know. But as I came into my HR career and realized that I'm a collaborator, I want compassion, intentional, thoughtful communication. I was like, wait a minute, maybe I'm a millennial in the making or something. But then I, what I realized is I was just being adaptable to what the environment needed from me as a leader. And you just, again, self-awareness. But I really, you know, the pandemic caused everybody to pause and take stock and realize, whoa, wait a minute, my priorities are messed up. And as soon as the employees wanted to reshift their priorities, you know, the employers are like, whoa, wait a minute, those aren't our priorities. And it's like, well, these are our priorities. But I really do think that it's just about being adaptable and flexible and seeing each person as an individual. I'll use the analogy every day, every time I can get it. If you have more than one child, you don't talk to each one of your children the same way. So why would you talk to anybody that you're employed with, in a relationship with, in a group with the same? You just wouldn't. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Sure. And Josh, can I jump in here? Absolutely. So for all of those folks who are listening who are of an older generation, baby boomers, generation X, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to my people. You need to stop and listen to your younger employees in your organization. They have so much good to say. Listen to them. Ask them about their values and their needs and their wants and their likes. Stop judging, and you could learn a thing or two. So, I, you know, I think that's one of the biggest lessons out of, of this entire movement, you know, towards, you know, the changes in the workplace that we're talking about. Let younger generations speak. Let's hear from them. And through our organization, I guarantee uh, it would be a, a better organization overall if you did that. 
did the last two years really heighten the differences between the generations that are making up the workplace right now, where we see, as you went through it, Albert, each generation really has its own personality, its own characteristics. Did those become more heightened with so much that's changed? I think it has, yes. And you know, we're seeing organizations right now uh, moving back to in-person, right. right? So they're moving back because they think the only way that collaboration and innovation happen is through in-person, face-to-face you know, interaction. And uh, that's, it's simply just not true. Now, it may be true for, for a certain generation who, you know, grew up in that professional space, but, you know, take Generation Z, for example. This is the generation that, that grew up super tech savvy and grew up with technology as their partner. And so, yes, they crave in-person experiences, as we all do, but what degree you know, to what degree do they crave those experiences varies, right? So it's not an everyday thing. It might not even be, you know, once, twice or three times a week. It could be once in a while and you have an event and, uh, you know, and that's how you move forward with it. So um, yes, I think it makes a difference, those generations, especially in these movements to go back to the office. I don't think it's for everybody. Interesting. And we'll definitely get back into the return to the office because I think there's a lot to unpack there in terms of what's driving teams to go back, what's the right balance. But I want to touch on something that Elisa mentioned with flexibility. I think that's something we've seen really heightened in the last two years is the focus on flexibility and personalization. I think everything has been personalized in our entire lives, right? Any component of our life is really catered to what we want and how we want it down to getting into our car and you hit one button and all of a sudden your seat setting is set up exactly how you want it. I think that's reflected now. We're seeing that reflected now even in the workplace. And everyone has their idea of what's the right setup for me where I can perform best and has the ability now to go find it. And I think that trickle down effect now to the human resources community is managing that. Mm -hmm. To your point, Elisa, get to know your people down to their, their core of who they are because that is going to teach you so much and meet them. I think it's been really interesting to see. Josh, so this point on flexibility is a really interesting one uh, because we know that one size does not fit all. And so trying to trying to funnel everybody into one decision is a mistake, I think. But I think that organizations need to need to have a multifaceted understanding of flexibility because flexibility is many things. And so we tend to think of flexibility as where work can get done. And that's the most common understanding of it. So yes, we want to give employees control over where they work. So it's in-person or hybrid, or they can work from another country or whatever the case is. And I would say that hybrid models with set days are actually falsely flexible because you're, you're forcing somebody to come into you know, work during a certain you know, days and hours. So the first, part, the first bit of flexibility is where work can get done. And that's one that everybody uh, that understands. The second part of flexibility is when work can get done. So I think that organizations have to find ways to reset their expectations of always on, you know, 24-7 availability and stop imposing rigid hours on employees. So, and this is all about trust. And this is a real tough one for a lot of organizations to get wrap their heads around right now. So think about, think about a future where employees set their own working days and their own working hours. What will that require? That will require a lot of trust by leaders of organizations they have on employees. And so, so fundamentally, flexibility is about trust at the end of the day. But what about allowing people to take time off when they need? Well, okay, you know, that's another thing about trust. 
And so the third thing, I'll say this really quickly. So the third aspect of flexibility is how work can get done. So we talked about where work can get done. We talked about when work can get done. And then the third piece of flexibility is how work can get done. And that's all about putting employees in the driver's seat of their own activities during the day. And again, this is a trust exercise. So allowing them to pace their workload and empower them to decide how they you know, accomplish work tasks. And I'll give you one example of this. There's a company that does this very, very well. Um, it's HubSpot. Everybody's familiar with HubSpot, the marketing you know, company. Right. And you know, when you work at HubSpot, they ask you, okay, so where would you like to work? Wow. You're like, wait, where would I like to work? Yes. So they give their employees the option to work where they want to work and how they want to work and the mode they want to work. And uh, they have over 5,500 employees, I think, now at this point. So, you know, it's a model that works. You know, and will it work for every single employment sector out there? Of course not, because there are some jobs that just require in-person experiences, customer-facing experiences. But for all of those jobs who, you know, where you have to sit in front of a computer screen for the majority of your day, these different modes of flexibility need to come to the forefront. So that's an important thing to consider. That's great. Yeah, we're seeing those models all challenged and really introduced with the new approach, which has been so interesting to see, right down to, as you mentioned, vacation time, unlimited PTO being looked at. The traditional nine to five or the, the five-day work week is now being challenged. Some are talking about moving to a four-day work week. Can we work with asynchronous schedules? Does everyone need to be working at the same times from the same place at the same period? Do 40 hours even work? Is it necessary? Is it task-based versus time-based? Alisa, seeing your reaction as Albert was walking through that, I wish everybody could have seen you fist pump there. So it seems like you've got something great to say there. Go for it. What do you think? Albert, I'm, you're hitting home runs all day on this. I, I don't have anything to add, but trust, I was exactly going to say this. Trust is the number one factor. The leaders have to trust their employees. And I'm going to say this, and there are going to be leaders out there that are going to cringe with me. If you cannot trust your employees, then either one, you're a bad manager or two, you hired the wrong person. All right. right. So that is the bottom line. And managers don't like to hear that. Leaders don't like to hear that because guess what? That is actually a reflection of them, not the actual employee. Because when you are hiring remote employees, I did it in an organization that had in 75 countries. So I know what it's like to work asynchronous. You live in Slack and it's not a work-life balance anymore. I call it a work-life blend. You're blending your life and work together. And that's what makes it work well. But not every organization is meant for that. Again, you need to check your organization's culture. What works? I just came from an organization, amazing organization, but they were an office organization. We went hybrid. They still want a part of an office from where their corporate headquarters are. So they're building a collaboration space because they're hungry for that. Great. That's what works for them. So what does it, what makes sense for your organization? Don't try and follow the big names of what they're doing because you feel like they're the leaders of corporate decision. They're not your organization. They don't have your people. What do your people want? And I also feel like people, employers want employees back in the office because they feel like they can only offer benefits and perks that are tangible, ping pong table, pizza. That's not what employees want. They want flexibility. They want to be able to maybe start at 10 o'clock and work a little bit later. I work with engineers. There is no engineer that is starting their day at seven or eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just does not happen. Every engineer I've worked with generally works, mm, you know, 930 to 10 in the morning till 
seven or eight o'clock at night. That's an engineering schedule. I don't care what country you're in. That seems to be the norm for them. And so you have to recognize that. Right. Think of that in the battle for talent. If you know that that's what the most talented members of whatever industry you're hiring mm -hmm. in looking for you're not going to get them if you don't meet them where they are and what their expectations are as well meet them where they are that's what i always say meet people where they are not where you expect them to be i know this whole podcast seems to be an analogy like one-liners and analogies but how do you want to be treated it goes back to the golden rule that we were taught when we were five it's like if you treat people how you want to be treated then it'll work out the unlimited pto or flexible pto my philosophy has always been don't leave your team hanging if you're not leaving your team hanging, take the time off. You know, um, what I have found since joining my current organization at Docker is that they had feedback from employees that were saying, I want to take a day off, but when I come back, I'm overloaded with email and slacks. So you know what was implemented? One day a month, the entire company's closed. Right. One day a month. That's great, right? Like it didn't change productivity. It didn't change the business outcomes. Employee engagement is up. Employee satisfaction is up. Every month, everybody's getting a three-day weekend somewhere. Yeah, I've heard of I've heard of tech companies uh, doing weekend holidays for Slack and email. Like there's yes. no Slack or email on the weekends. <laughs> so th this is really evolving. Yeah, right. Yeah, no meeting Wednesdays. Yeah. It's really allowing people to be super productive. Now we all know we're going to have those days, you know, I have days where there's 10 meetings and you're like, but then I also know there's that one day where I have no meetings and that's where the real work happens. But I think it comes down to trust, flexibility, knowing your people and listening to your people. Just because you don't agree with them does not mean it's wrong. It's just a different point of view. And if you can understand what they see, then help, hopefully you can come to you know, an agreement or a consensus of saying like, I hear you but we're gonna go this way and this is why. Can you get on board with that? That's the other piece where HR management comes in is that you are creating buy-in across the organization with unpopular rulings, right? So sometimes it may not be a popular decision from leadership, but my job as an HR leader is to create that buy-in. I don't wanna use the word sell it because I don't. I feel like that might be a fake term, but helping people see why we're doing it this way, create buy-in, and then asking them to lock arms with you to move forward. Like partner with me and let us move forward. That's the real thing is that being a partner with your employees. HR is a people-centric role. And I'm going to say it over again because the stereotype is HR fights for the company. I've spent 15 years being on the people side, fighting against the company every single day, every single time. Unpopular decision, but I guarantee you my employee engagement and satisfaction is through the roof because I sit on the fence every day and make decisions and create solutions that is best for the scenario. Don't like policies. I like guidelines. Give me a ballpark. HR managers need to be able to pull things from wherever they are to create a solution for a win-win. And I know that's an old saying and they're like, oh, there's never a win-win. Yes, there is. The company can win and the employee can win and HR can still be that objective person in the group that is still trusted and it can be a confidant and be that advisor that employees are looking for, but also leadership is looking for. And I think that's the one thing that this pandemic has really shined through is that HR can be that strategic leader guiding leadership, your CEOs and COOs and saying like, no, this is not how we should do it. You're not listening to your people. You're going to run this into the ground and everybody's going to leave. Think of all the companies that are losing people. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that concludes part one of our two-part conversation with members of the Human Resource Management Team at Champlain College. 
A big thanks to Dr. Albert Orbanati and Elisa Avalar for their participation today. Be sure to tune in next week for part two of our conversation as we pick things back up with Albert and Elisa and talk about establishing a remote work policy that actually works. Thank you for listening to the HR Works podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible. 